0: Hey, everybody, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and I hope that you are too. Welcome to episode 27, in which we document our quilts, and I'm recording this episode on October 28th, 2010, if that makes a difference. I've got a few announcements to lay on you first, and then a few words of thanks to some folks, and then we're going to get down to business. First of all, you might be able to tell if you've got really clear audio that I'm using a new mic this week. I'm very excited to take this one for a test drive. Technically, I should probably be recording this with a blanket, or in my case, a quilt, over my head. (laughs) Well, not just over my head, then you wouldn't be able to hear me, but over my head and my computer to create, you know, that sort of uh, sound booth-like atmosphere. But that would just look kind of weird. So (laughs) I'm not going to do that at this point. We're just going to try working with it as it is. Hopefully it won't be too echoey. I do have a couple of other actual real live announcements. First of all, this one's a little bit embarrassing, but it's yet another casualty of my computer issues over the last couple of weeks. When I lost all my emails, one of the emails that I lost was the person who contacted me about the Save Our Stories project through the Alliance for American Quilts, the person with whom I had exchanged contact information uh, so that I could touch base with you and potentially do an interview and you had connected me with somebody else. And unfortunately, all that's gone now, so I need you to email me again. And that's at Sandy Quilts, uh, Sandy with a Y and Quilts with a Z, all one word, at gmail.com. And I know that... um, One of it had to do with uh, me being in Houston next week. So I'm hoping you'll hear this episode and I'm hoping you'll be able to give me that contact information before I leave on Wednesday morning. And I'm really embarrassed and I'm really sorry and I should have saved it in one of my files instead. But be that as it may, hopefully you're listening and you'll be in touch again. Another announcement I have, this is not at all embarrassing and actually very exciting. There is a new website uh, soon to be launched. You've probably heard other podcasters talking about it. It's called uh, seamedup.com, seamed as an S-E-A-M-E-D-U-P, all one word, dot com. You can actually go to that site now and sign up for their uh, newsletter essentially for their notification service and they'll let you know when it's actually launched which according to Brylin's recent podcast episode that I um, was listening to last night should be soon and it's um, been reported to be like the new Ravelry for quilters so we're all looking forward to that. I'm already signed up so make sure you do as well. I'm also very excited to be able to tell you about a new Quilty podcast that's out there called Hip to be Square. Um, Unfortunately, I have not yet been able to listen to the first episode. I'm really hoping to tonight. I'm actually recording my episode early in the evening so that I can spend some time later sewing and catching up on other podcasts. So I'm really looking forward to listening to that one and you can get it in iTunes I want to give a thanks. Uh, I'm sorry. I want to give thanks to all of my listeners out there, and um, I have a shout out for a new listener this week, Carolyn. And actually, Carolyn's from my church, so I just have to say, "Hey, Carolyn, I'm glad you're listening," and um, it just makes me need to be a little more careful now that I actually know somebody personally who's listening to the podcast. I'm going to have to watch what I'm saying. Uh, Thanks to everyone who has left reviews on iTunes. There were a couple of new ones up there when I checked this week. So thanks so much for that. All of us podcasters really appreciate it when you leave reviews because it helps other people find us, which is always nice. Um, Other than that, not a whole lot in the way of listener comments this week. I'm trying not to take that personally and think that maybe people have stopped speaking to me. Um, hopefully it's just kind of a lull as people's uh, fall schedules start heating up. But I did have a few comments. And since they were all um, segues into this episode's topic, I am going to share listener comments before the content to the episode because they're all quite relevant and they're not that many of them. So it shouldn't add a whole lot of time to the episode. And I know a couple of people have expressed some concern about that. So I am being very sensitive to that. In this um, episode, however, I am going for flow and train of thought here, so um, we will do listener comments before the content. Um, I do want to, in that vein, say thanks to Mama P and Lynn for sending your healthy computer thoughts my way. As you recall, I had to do a reformat before last week's episode, and the current sitch is that I'm probably going to be looking at yet another reformat again. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of the software I use I have to download from the internet, and there was an issue with um, virus software kind of competing with each other on my computer or something, and something snuck through. I mean, I have a gazillion uh, virus protection type softwares, on my computer of all types and somehow something still got through and has infected my computer and it's really giving me great headaches. And so um, I've tried everything and am probably just going to bag it and completely start from scratch again this weekend. The The... Only upside to that is having just done it recently, I've got all my notes about what order I have to do everything in, etc., and I'll probably actually do it better this time than I did last time. So again, I wanted to get this podcast recorded and out of the way um, to give myself a few days to get that going. What that does mean is October's newsletter probably not happening in October. Unfortunately, the virus I have has affected my internet access and all of my newsletter stuff is web-based, and so it's been very difficult for me to actually get a newsletter done. So I still have hopes, still planning on working on it this weekend, um, but if you don't get one, you'll know you can blame the virus. Anyway, um, back to other comments. My last episode, comment on episode 26, in which we get ancestral about my family heritage quilts, as I think of them. I got a few comments on that. Maggie said that she has some quilts made by her grandmothers and aunts, if I'm getting the family relationships uh, correct, and she says she is now inspired to document her own quilts. Yay! If I can change even one quilter's heart, I've done my job. Susan said, what amazing historical artifacts you have, and even better that they are family historical artifacts. I agree. Um, And she says, photographs, play settings, and linens are wonderful hand-me-downs, but I think that craft, hobby art, or necessity items are even better. Um, I'm a first quilter, and I hope to have descendants in the future who enjoy the quilts that I've made. Uh, You go, Susan. I'm sure that you will have descendants who enjoy your quilts. Uh, Noni said, my goal with quilting besides keeping everyone warm is to make something worth passing on to my daughter and grandson. And Noni, I've seen pictures of your quilts. Definitely worth passing on. And Jane said, I'm so lucky to have these family heirlooms, which I heartily concur. Beth Davis, who was nice to me and not just because I mentioned her in the episode. If you'll recall, Beth Davis is the appraiser that I've worked with. Uh, She says, We may not always be able to put a face or even a name with the quilt maker, but can at least envision who they were and piece together what was happening around them. The quilt maker may not have even realized what a treasure they were making, thinking it was a pretty but needed bed covering. Not that over a hundred years later, it is a treasure that is still being enjoyed. And Kate said, My maternal grandmother quilted. I'm fortunate enough to have several of her quilts. After this show, I'm now wondering if I should contact my aunts and uncles to see who still has her quilts and if I should try to photograph them. I have one aunt that quilts, and she did a lot with my grandmother. She might be able to date some of them. Maybe you'll cover this question in your next podcast. Should you put labels on family quilts that were made by someone else? And Kate, I hadn't originally thought about that particular question, but since you raised it, it is now in the episode, so you'll hear that later. And by the way, just as a short update to my last episode, um, I had mentioned that I had two or three of these um, pieced quilt tops that just might actually relate to the New Jersey branch of my family. And since posting that episode, I have made contact with, oh, I believe she would be my second cousin I think um she's my father's cousin and i had um emailed her to say hey i've got these antique quilts and you know it looks like they might have come from the new jersey area do you happen to know if anybody was a quilter and it turns out yes indeed and so she is um going to send me some pictures of a quilt that she has and give me a little bit more information of what she knows about family quilters. And so, you know, again, slowly but surely starting to track some of these things down. So I strongly encourage you, um, especially if you have family quilts, to start asking some questions. Uh, As for your own quilts, that's what the rest of this episode is about. We are now going to talk about documenting your quilts. Uh, Several months ago now, I remember reading a blog entry by someone who said that she very intentionally didn't label any of her quilts because she didn't want the quilt to be about her. And to tell the truth, I I found myself having a pretty strong visceral reaction to that comment. I could understand where she was trying to come from, but I think in essence that does kind of actually make the quilt about her because she's not thinking about future generations. And, you know, I don't label a quilt because I want everybody to know, hey, look at what I made I label quilts because when my, you know, hopefully they'll survive my children. (laughs) And if they survive my children, hopefully then they might survive my grandchildren. But in any case, you know, I'm thinking about future generations. And particularly now, after my experience with antique quilts and trying to track down who they belong to, uh, you personally may not feel labeling is important. But your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your best friend that you've given it to, their children, you know, whoever this quilt ends up with will care and will want to see that label. And for those of you who have made comments, and and I know, you know, I shudder to think of what I did to some of my mother's early quilts she gave me before I really knew how hard those are to make you know, maybe it'll just make somebody treat it a little more carefully if your name is staring at them from the back of it. So you might want to think about that as a reason to slap a label on a quilt as well. Um, There are also, uh, just come to think of it off the top of my head, there are labels that I believe are from Fons and Porter that actually have quilt care instructions on them. And you can use those as an additional label on the back of your quilt. And I did actually do that for one quilt of my mother's that I had finished um, for my niece and her husband for their wedding. And I not only put a label on it that identified it as, you know, such and so much of this was made by my mom, so much of this was made by um, my BFFBQF Kate that I commissioned to finish because my mom had hand quilted it and hadn't finished it. Not being a hand quilter, I went running to Kate, who is a tremendous hand quilter. So I um, commissioned her to finish the quilting on it. And then I put the binding on it. And so all that information went on the label. Every person who touched that quilt in its making went on the label. And then I put one of those quilt care labels on there as well, um, just for her reference, if she should want it or his, whoever does the laundry in their house. Um, or in that case, hopefully doesn't do the laundry. Um, in any case, that's that's why you label. You don't label for you. You label for Um, Future reference for future generations. So think about it in that respect. Now, let's talk a little bit more about documentation. I'm not actually going to talk much about how to make labels. Uh, First of all, there are tons of places you can go for that information. And secondly, I'm not particularly good at it myself. I do label things. They're just not the fanciest labels in the world, and I can't guarantee that Um, They'll even still be on there in a year. (laughs) That's something I'm watching, the methods I've been using, um, I'm paying attention to and seeing if I might need to redo them. But in any case, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about how to make labels. Just Google labels, look in, most quilt reference books have um, conversations about it. I believe um, a couple of quilt podcasters have recently done episodes on it, so uh, pay attention to that. Um, I'm not one to give advice in that in that respect. The one piece of advice I will give you, and I've said this before, is do it before you quilt the quilt, Sandy. I mean, anybody who's listening. Um, I, I never remember to, and it drives me nuts that I can never remember to. I think I need to put a big sign over my sewing machine that says, stop label, or something like that. Um, but I'm not actually here to tell you that you should be labeling your quilts. I'm actually suggesting you take it a step or two further and document them in additional ways. And what do I mean by document? Um, document Documenting a quilt is actually just giving information about the quilt that will be either one, helpful, or two, of interest to future generations. So why would you document a quilt? Um, First of all, insurance, uh, especially if you've got like what they refer to as heirloom quality quilts but even you know any quilt, as I remember Beth saying fabric is stinking expensive these days so you know even if it's not an heirloom quality quilt, however that might be defined, quilts are not cheap and if your house should burn down, you probably want to have what you had in it documented in some way. So you do want to do some documentation just from a, a pure insurance um, perspective. And that's a place where it would also be helpful to get a professional appraisal on quilts that may have more uh, insurance or financial uh, value. But just even your own documentation, your own written notes um, can be used in that respect. Okay, a second reason to document quilts um, that's somewhat related to the insurance question is inheritance issues. Uh, Should you have a lot of quilts that perhaps um, people may be wanting to um, inherit when you are no longer with us, it it might be helpful to have some appraisals behind them. Again, yes and no for monetary value. Uh, That's not the way I tend to look at quilts and that's not the way I certainly looked at my family quilts. But again, for insurance purposes, if you've got information about a quilt that somebody else wouldn't know or wouldn't be able to figure out themselves, it helps them in the long run if you've handed that down to them. So documenting your quilts Um, And giving information that could eventually then be useful in appraisal will help them out in the long run as well. But, you know, those two things aside, because we all get a little hinky, I think, when we start talking about monetary value of quilts, uh, let's just look at it from a pure historical standpoint. Again, you know, I said this in the last episode, um, but the thing I really got the most jazzed about my time with Beth was just learning about the history of the quilts themselves as Auger um, art, as it were, um, or just uh, cultural artifacts, was really fascinating. And having that now in writing, I feel like I've documented a part of history, uh, not only for myself but for, and for future generations in my family, but for the world in general. Uh, this is part of our cultural history. And so anything you can document about your quilts, you are creating a part of history. Think about it that way. You're being important. <laughs> so so make sure you document your quotes just from that perspective. And we'll talk a little bit more about what kind of information might go into that type of a documentation as well. Some of that information, again, can be helpful in terms of appraisals. If you can put a year on your quilt, and then, you know, 50 years from now, somebody's getting an appraisal of that quilt. They've got the year. They already know when it's made. Any sort of information you can give then goes into the appraisal process. So that does also come out in appraisals as well. But just from a point of cultural interest, uh, documenting the history of a quilt really does provide sort of a context for its existence, which then would also lead into um, the other reason why you would want to document a quilt is just pure family interest. Um, In my case, it wasn't only genealogy, although that was part of it. You know, I was trying to find out who had actually made those quilts, but it was also about having more memories of a loved one. You know, I have quilts from my mother. Um, Mom documented some of her quilts in terms of photos and dates and, you know, a couple of notes about who they were gifts for if they were intended for someone or if they were a raffle quilt or whatever. Um, I have some of her photo albums. She didn't document all of them, um, but she did document probably a third uh, pretty clearly. But even more than just the the dates and, you know, who they went to, which was helpful information, certainly, I would really love to know more about the stories behind the quilts. Um, You know, I can look at the dates and kind of know what was going on in our family at the time. But it would be fun for me to be able to read something that my mom wrote about. Oh, I decided to make this quilt because the colors reminded me so much of, you know, the person or whatever. Just little notes like that would have just been extra special for me. Um, And so that's something you might want to think about, too, is what kind of information you are putting down for your quilts. And it's not just for, you know, when you're gone. (laughs) (laughs) to tell the truth, that it's sort of like just keeping a journal yourself. Um, If you are a diary writer, or if you're a journal keeper, you know, we all tend to sometimes go back a few months or go back a few years and just kind of remember what sorts of things were in our lives at that time and and where we were mentally and emotionally. There's no reason why um, quilt documentation can't express some of those same things. I'm going to be talking a few minutes about my own quilt journaling history, which is spotty at best, but I went through a period where I was really, really good at it, and um, when I pull out that quilt journal and read through, you know, the stories behind the quilts I was making at the time, it does, it just transports me back, and I look at that quilt again um, with renewed eyes, because I remember now what was going on behind when I made it. So that kind of stuff is really good to document as well. And then, you know, finally, and I've referenced this before, um, why you would document a quilt is for future family appraisals. You may not choose to have your own quilts appraised. And, you know, there's some quilts that, well, not to put too fine a point on it, but there's some quilts that are probably more worth having appraised than others. (laughs) But in any case, whether or not you choose having your quilts appraised, down the line, one of your descendants might want to. And therefore, the more documentation they have about your quilt, the more accurate an appraisal they can get. And that kind of documentation would also then include, did you ever hang it in a show? Did it win an award? Was it ever photographed for a book or as part of a collection? Um, Even notes about how it was made by hand or by machine. Was there a trapunto involved or fabric painting or other specialized techniques? All of that information goes into an official appraisal. So the more of that you can document, the easier work you're making for, you know, future generations at that point. So those are just some thoughts about why you might want to document your quilt. No, I shouldn't say why you might want to document your quilts. I'm going to start saying why you will start documenting your quilts from this point forward, because, you know, this is a really evangelical moment for me at the moment. I want you to be documenting your quilts. Um, okay, so let's say you have you agree with me now and you're saying, yes, Sandy, I'm going to start document my documenting my quilts okay, what do I document? Um, To a certain extent, this will depend on your purpose. Um, And again, there's a difference between labels and additional documentation. A label, you know, you can't have, well, I suppose you could have a label that was the size of the quilt. You know, that would be interesting. Um, I've never seen one (laughs) that big and now it's kind of making me ponder, hmm, what an interesting backing that would make. Uh, In any case, you know, at very least, you need to have your name, where you live, and the date. Um, that's the very least of the information that should go on a label and to document a quilt. You may also want to document, if it was a gift, who it was a gift for. Although, tread a little carefully here. Um, I have given a lot of quilts as gifts that I never put this as a gift for so-and-so on the the label because... Um, you know, I wasn't positive they were actually going to like it and want to keep it. So I didn't want to put their name on there and force them into something that they didn't necessarily want to enjoy. I have on a couple of occasions, for example, I mentioned earlier the wedding quilt um, for my niece. I knew for without a doubt that she and her um, husband would keep that quilt because it was from my mother. And, you know, therefore my niece was very close to my mother. So in that case, I did put on the label that it was a wedding gift for them. Um, but very rarely do I do that in other cases. So give some consideration if you're going to put who it's a gift for on the label. Um, Now, in my professional world, copyright issues are huge, so I tend to follow that kind of um, sensitivity, I guess, in my quilt labels and documentation. I will also put things like um, a block or a pattern name Uh, pattern designer, fabric line, if I use a single set of coordinates, that sort of, um, you know, kind of more professional information. If I've actually given the quilt a name, um, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, I will, you know, start out, that'll be right at the top what the quilt name is. And then, of course, the names of anyone else who is involved, such as the name of a long-arm quilter, if I've used one, or if it was a round robin, or, you know, for example, in the case of commissioning my friend Kate to do the hand quilting, her name uh, went on the label. And it would go in any documentation that I also um, put together for that quilt. So those are, you know, again, at the very least, put a label on your quilt and make sure it's got your name, your hometown, and your date on it. If you can put more information on the label, those are some other ideas of things you might want to put on the label. But when I talk about documentation, I am talking about additional things that you may do in addition to a label, kind of getting back to the labels though if you're going to put this quilt in a show you need to check the show regulations they may have um, special things about what they want to have on the label you may also want to sew your address into the label as well or, or somehow make sure your address is physically attached to that quilt in case the quilt grows feet it is not unknown for quilts to disappear from quilt shows unfortunately so you do want to take that into consideration um, but again, what I put on a label and how I document my quilts are two different things. On the label, I will put the name of the quilt, my name, my hometown, the month and the year that the quilt was completed, um, or just the year if I don't want to be that specific. And again, I will tend to put the name of the pattern and the designer and the fabric line if I've only if I've used a single set of coordinates. If it's a scrappier thing, I don't bother with that um, and that kind of information. But then um, in a notebook and again, when I, it, I'm i not always consistent about this, but when I do document something in a notebook, I will put a photo of the quilt, um, fabric swatches, and I will try to make sure I've got a swatch that has um, the, you know, oh, the maker's name, the designer name, that kind of thing on the selvage. Um I'll put information about when I began the quilt, who it was intended for, and then who actually ended up with it, because they're not always the same thing. Um, and then a little bit about what was going on in my life at the time. I actually write the stories behind the quilt. Um like I said my I do call it my quilt journal. Um it's definitely more of a journal than it is just documenting the quilts, but it's documenting the quilts through what, you know, the context that they were going uh, that they were being made in. For example, um I was working on a project when my father passed away and that actually led to the name of the quilt and the pattern that I used or you know, as I shaped it. Because um, I had started it before he passed away, and then finished it after he passed away, and it sort of shifted in the middle of that. And so I documented that in in this quilt journal, and I shared, you know, what was kind of going on my, in my mind at that point. It was only um, he passed away just a few weeks after uh, 9/11, actually, and I do have some projects documented that I was working on while I was watching the events of 9/11 and the days following. And so now, you know, so many years later. Going back and reading those um, entries really kind of give context to a certain part of my life. And when I'm gone and my children are reading those, they will know me in a different way, perhaps, than than their own memories would share. So I do think documenting is really important. How would you document? Well, there's you know, boy, there's a bunch of different ways you could do this, and it mostly depends on what works for you. Some people need to write in hand, some people need to type, some people need to use a lot more photos and images, people use more words, so it's kind of just up to you. Um, At the most basic, and actually my quilt journal, because I started it so many years ago, is just a notebook. It's a plain old spiral-bound notebook, although I shouldn't say plain old, I got one with a very pretty cover. Um, It's sort of a designer notebook, but it is just a spiral-bound notebook. And all I do was, you know, I guess I was gluing or taping the photos because back then I was actually still using film, not digital. (laughs) Boy, that makes me feel old. Uh, But in any case, you know, I would get the pictures developed and I'd slap it in the notebook and then I would tape or glue the fabric swatches in there. And then I would write, you know, handwrite around them, um, the fabric line name and all that kind of stuff. And then I would take a couple of pages to write the story of the quilt. You could also do it, now, that being said, I know that the photos and the fabric swatches probably won't stand the test of time that way. Um, You know, that's not archival so much, but it was the way I got it done at the time, and it's more important to get it done, I think, and then worry about how you're going to preserve this thing later. Another thing you could do is a three-ring binder with plastic sleeve inserts for photos and fabric swatches, and then just have, um, you know, lined notebook paper or computer-printed text in between. There's also Quilter's Journal books that you can purchase um, that are quite nice, although the one that I saw was fairly small, and I was trying to picture it all crammed with photos in there, and it would get really kind of bulky, I think, by the end of it. But again, if, if that's the kind of thing that makes you, if you buy something that makes you want to sit down and write in it, that's what counts. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, the main idea is whatever will inspire you to actually keep it up. Now, those are sort of uh, old school methods. Let's talk digital. Um, you could actually, and this is what I <laughs> hope to do, uh, is digital scrapbooking. You can create a digital scrapbook page for each of your quilts. Um, you can put a photo in there. You can then do you know, a little journal entry on it. You can put information on there and then... The um, digital scrapbook page itself becomes a work of art, uh, depending on how good you are at digital scrapbooking. Some of the digital scrapbooking I've done has been quite pretty, other, a little bit more basic. But in any case, the nice thing about that is that you can then turn it into a coffee table book. Uh, You know, you gather enough pages and then you print off using Snapfish or one of those um, type of things. And then you've got a physical book that you could, that'll look quite nice and you can um, use it, you know, have it out on the coffee table, put it on your library shelf or whatever. That's my dream. <laughs> I haven't done it yet, but it's in my head and I intend to. Um, eventually I'll I'll get there. I enjoy digital scrapbooking. I do that um, when I'm in a dry spell with quilting. So that would be, for me, the way I would want to go. My other dream is to also do a digital scrapbook over um, of my mom's quilts that then I could give to all of my sisters and brother as well so that we'd all have documentation of mom's quilts. But again, haven't done it yet. Haven't had a whole lot of time. Someday. Another way you could do, and this is probably what most people are doing now without even really thinking about the fact that it's documentation, is a blog or um, a website. And this is probably the fastest method because you know, you're online, you zip, you throw your picture up there, you write a little bit of a blog entry, and boom, you're done. That's documenting. Um, You do have to think about two things. First of all, will it last? You know, someday blogs aren't going to be the thing anymore. (laughs) We're going to have moved on to something else. And when we've moved on to something else, what are you going to do with all that stuff that's in your blog? The other thing you need to think about is have you given your family your blog information in case something happens to you so they actually know where they can find all of this documentation and then they can, you know, download it or whatever they want to do with it? So, certainly a blog, your Flickr group, um, all that kind of stuff, that's like immediate documentation, but you do need to ponder a little bit okay, how long will this last? And how can I then use this for documentation for future generations? Um, so that those are just some considerations so again uh, you know you can keep a notebook you can have a binder you can use a a nicely designed quilter's journal book you could do digital scrapbooking you can do a blog or website but do something (laughs) that's if you haven't heard me yet hear me now do something document it somehow from your very very first quilt on there is no quilt that's not worth documenting. And if you want to think about it this way, also think about it in terms of your own learning process. If you're just starting to quilt now, document what you're doing because you, well, it doesn't matter if you've begun or if you've been quilting 25 years, you're making mistakes, everybody's making mistakes. Everybody's trying a new method and discovering it doesn't really work for them. Everybody's trying a new method and discovering, hey, this would really work if I just remembered to do X, Y, or Z first. You know, all that kind of information can go into documentation so that it's not only useful for future generations, it's useful for you now in your own growth as a quilter. Oh, and my other note, I'm sorry, I just looked back at my notes and realized I had also written down, with exclamation points, keep documentation somewhere your family could find it easily and tell them where it is. Again, you know, this is, uh, you know, I'm trying not to have too morbid an episode here and talking about all these things you want to make sure are happening when you're gone, but the fact of the matter is, it happens. And I know when my mom passed away, um, we knew where all of her insurance information was, where all of her legal information was, et cetera, because first of all, my mom was very organized in that respect. And secondly, she had shown all of us where all of that stuff was. So we knew where to find it. We didn't know so much where to find all of her quilting stuff. And so that was sort of like a treasure hunt. And... Um, you know sometimes pleasant surprises, I have on my shelf a little three ring little bitty three ring binder, one of the purse size ones that she had used obviously to carry back and forth in her purse um, with notes about projects and measurements, and a couple of little fabric swatches are taped in there and i've got that on my shelf just as a little memorabilia of my mom um it 's not quilt documentation because Heaven forbid I could actually figure out her notes and what they related to. Um, But it's just a nice little memory of my mom. So, you know, when you document your quilt, when you do put this information together, make sure it's somewhere obvious, somewhere that your family knows where it is and would be able to find it um, in the future. Now, back to Kate's question. Should you put labels on family quilts if they were made by somebody else? I'm going to give you a very definite answer. Yes and no. Or rather, I'm going to tell you yes, but then I'm going to defer to Beth Davis or any other appraiser that might happen to be listening now for the possible no. Um, I did label my mom's quilts. I actually had intended, I had all of mom's quilts in my house after she passed away uh, until a few months later when we were able to get all the sibs together and do the general distribution. I was sort of the storage place for them. And my original intent was to slap a label on everyone that hadn't been labeled before it left my house. But, you know, practicality range, there were a boatload of quilts. Um, only a few of them actually had labels on them, and I just didn't have time to get them all done. However, I did put labels on all the ones I actually worked on. And as I said before, I made sure I put on the label what parts Mom had done, what parts I did, did etc., So in that respect, yes, absolutely put labels on family quilts. If you know who they were made by and you can um, preserve that information for future generations, absolutely do. However, antique quilts might be a different matter. And frankly, I don't even know what year is the cutting off point between what's just old and what constitutes antique. So Beth? (laughs) I'm going to defer that one to you too. In any case, sometimes you can do things to antique quilts without affecting their monetary value. Other times you really shouldn't touch it. I don't know where labels would fall into that category. Um, So again, I defer entirely to Beth. Any other appraisers who may happen to be listeners, if you want to um, post a comment to the show notes of this episode and answer that question, that would be very helpful. So that's my episode on documentation. And um, Again, I'm not telling you how to make labels, and I'm just saying make them <laughs> and put them on before you quilt the dang quilt. Um, so thank you very much for listening to that. And um, if any of you have um, good habits of documentation and want to share with us how you document your quilts and what kind of information you do, and most particularly, how do you use a notebook? Do you use um, a scrapbook of some sort? What kind of methods do you use to document? Uh, it, we'd love to hear it and send pictures or post them to the Flickr group. I'd love to see if you have a picture of your documentation process, that would be fun to see too. Um, Share ideas, it would be very helpful for us to all know what are some really good effective ways to document quilts. Okay, so don't forget the holiday challenge. If you don't recall the holiday challenge, all you have to do is send me proof of at least three completed holiday products by December I'm sorry, not products, projects by December 15th at midnight. Again, this is not a challenge where you're creating anything new just for the challenge. This challenge is based on stuff you had already chosen to do. I'm just motivating you to get it done. So you finish at least three. Holiday projects by December 15th at midnight. You can either email me pictures if you need to keep your projects secret, um, or you can post pictures to your blog and send me the link, or you can post photos to the Flickr group for quilting for the rest of us. And everyone who has sent their proof by midnight on December 15th will get their name entered in a drawing for a prize because it's all about the season of giving. Lynn. Is the current Energizer Bunny on this project? I talked about her um, the last episode. And yes, folks, she's gotten even more projects done this week. Um, So who is going to try to take her down? All right, so it's not a race, but Yemeni, she is setting the bar high. So some of y'all got to start, you know, getting on the stick and getting your projects done. Now, I am saying that with very little credibility, because actually this year I have no intent of making any uh, quilted holiday projects this particular year. So my job is just to motivate and inspire and challenge and urge you forward and then send you a prize when you do. So I think that's it. Um, Next week. Woo! next week is Houston. I leave town Wednesday morning, so I might try to throw out a podcast before I get out of town, but doubtful. What I will probably be doing is tweeting while I'm in Houston. So if you're not already following me on Twitter, um, do so. It's just Sandy quotes Sandy with a Y, quotes with a Z. And if I can actually manage to um, do some podcasting while I'm there, because I'll have whatever. Well, I might not bring my laptop. I don't know. Let me not make any promises. Um, but I will try to be in communication some way. Uh, but if you are going to be in Houston, email me and we'll try to figure out a way that we can actually meet. Um, again, I don't get there until Wednesday and then I leave Sunday. So I'm really only there Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. But I would love to meet up with some folks, meet some listeners And um, we just have to figure out how to do that with the thousands and thousands and thousands of other people who will be there as well. Um, I think that's it for this week. Don't forget that you can post your comments about this episode or anything else at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com, and you can um, also... Respond to the uh, question, you know you're a quilter when, dot, 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 and fill in the blank. You can also post information about your favorite quilt shops all on that same page. You can follow me on Twitter, which I already mentioned, Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. Email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, spelled the same way. And follow my quilting blog, uh, which you can also find the link to, and sign up for the newsletter. um, Also linked (laughs) at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. So thanks so much for listening, and until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the rest of us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.